0: If we can uh, turn back to uh, Romans chapter 5, and uh, we're focusing tonight just on the very last two verses of the, of the chapter. A the law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know if you're a bit like me, but sometimes, especially when it's quite a warm Sunday evening, uh, when you read through a chapter like Romans chapter 5, it's possible to begin to lose the thread a little bit. Sometimes you maybe get a little bit confused, and especially because we've been so focused in on this chapter for, uh, for two or three weeks in our studies in Romans. Uh, And so what I thought we'd do at the start of this, uh, tonight's uh, sermon, is just to take a a bit of a step back and uh, zoom out, if you like. I use uh, microscopes sometimes uh, for my work, and uh, it's possible when you're at the maximum zoomed in to slightly forget, especially if you go away and you come back, you have to zoom out, see the whole plant in my case that you're looking at and then be able to zoom in and then you can remember uh, where, where you were what you were looking for so um, we've been going through this pretty in a pretty detailed way, let's take a step back and, and just remind ourselves where we are the whole Bible is the context of, of these verses and stepping all the way back to look at the, the Bible as a whole um, the Bible is, is one message and it's, it's a, a coherent whole. It's, it's not a confusing book with lots of different messages in it. It's really one big message. And in our studies in Genesis, we were, remember uh, back earlier in, in the year, we saw how even at the very start, there's the promise of a saviour who was, who is was, who was to come. And really, the whole of the Old Testament has to be read in the context of pointing towards a Saviour who would come. And when we get to the New Testament, eh, we've got the four Gospels at the very start of the New Testament. We can think of those as like, as if we're reading or watching the same news event on four different channels. You know when something like you know the Twin Towers come, comes down and if you, could, if you were watching all four channels at the same time, You get a rounded picture. And that's what we have in the Bible with the four Gospels. We've got a complete picture of who Jesus is and of what he's done. And so the whole of the Old Testament points towards a coming Savior, and then it's open, it's it's given, we've got some clarity in the four Gospels. And between the Gospels and Romans, we have, of course, the book of Acts and. uh, It's interesting that those of us who were at Cumbernauld last week and those of us who are here this morning have heard two sermons on Acts. And in Acts we see the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, the reality of it as it begins to to have an impact. The church is having a a transformational effect everywhere it goes. And this morning especially we were reminded how uh, there are these pivotal moments when Uh, instead of just being a message that was only shared with Jewish people uh, God in his grace has opened it up that all of us have the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and that's where Romans comes immediately after Acts uh, in a nice logical way in my opinion in the Bible Uh, we then come to Romans and and in in Romans we've, we've been studying this for a while but Paul who's the apostle who God has appointed to explain the gospel to people like us in the main who aren't ethnically Jewish. Paul has set out in Romans the most clear and complete explanation of what what it is, what are we really talking about here? It's it's what is the gospel of, of Jesus Christ really about? So if you've got your Bible, just to flip back, just to remind ourselves of where we've got to so far, Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 1, we see that Paul describes himself as a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. And he sets out at the very beginning to explain that this book, book, the letter to the Romans, is going to explain what this gospel really is. And uh, verse 17 was a verse that you might remember that we spent some time looking at. But chapter 1, verse 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. So Paul's explaining that it's about righteousness the gospel of Jesus Christ has got something to do with righteousness. I mean, the rest of the book goes on to explain what that really is and what that means for us. Moving on to chapter 2, we'll remember uh, if you were uh, there for any of Ivor's sermons uh, as we worked through the second half of chapter 1 and into, into chapter 2, Ivor described this as a wrecking ball when he explains that every kind of person lacks this righteousness, and because we lack this righteousness, we're under God's wrath. God is angry with sin in our lives, and he's angry with sin in the lives of people who live any way they please, and he's angry with sin in the lives of people who are moral and appear upright on the outside, and he's even angry with sin in the lives of the Jewish people who are as meticulous as they possibly can be In keeping the law as it's been given to them. And so that takes us into chapter 3 for a minute. We'll just look at that. In chapter 3, Paul really begins to explain the nuts and bolts of what this gospel that he's talking about is. Chapter 3 verse 21 was an important verse for us there in our our journey through Romans. Romans. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Paul is explaining in that very important section there, just at the end of chapter three, what the gospel really is. He's saying that it's not a it's not a righteousness that we get from God by keeping rules and earning our way into heaven. It's something apart from the law. It's something that Jesus has done for us. And um, in this part of Romans, we come across a lot of words which might seem a bit difficult and a bit technical. Some of you might remember Ivor talked about the word propitiation, which is quite an off putting sounding word to start with because it's a well, it just sounds very technical. we did, we looked at some of these words, justification, remembering what it means to be justified at our legal standing before God and having the aspect of having our sins forgiven, but also having the righteousness of Jesus, as he says, imputed to us. So we had all these, these words, and although words like imputed and propitiation and justification and atonement and redemption, they sound like kind of Christian jargon that sounds a bit confusing to some people it is, I believe, worth the effort to try to get our heads around this because it is important for us to know what Jesus has really done for us and to be clear about it and, and, and it's, uh, this is a, a, a key part of the message uh, so what I'd say about that is if, if, uh, if when I mentioned the word propitiation you thought, oh, what was that about again? Uh, take advantage of the website. You can go back and listen to the old sermons uh, on there. And uh, I've certainly found it useful to be able to refresh my memory to go back. And I would uh, encourage, encourage everyone uh, to go back and, and uh, listen again, as they say, to especially some of these sermons on Romans, chapter 3. So the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus coming. Jesus comes in the Gospels. And the impact of that is seen in the book of Acts and in Romans, in Romans we see it explained. It's, we all need this righteousness and this, this righteousness is explained in chapter 3 apart from the law. Chapter 4 is just a bit of a bracket for us to explain that this is not something new. It's always been the case that the righteous are, uh, live by faith and so uh, Paul in chapter 4 as you remember explains that even Abraham is justified by faith he's justified by his faith looking forward to what Christ achieves for him and not uh, he does not he's not described as being righteous because of what he's done himself and Paul takes a wee bit of time to explain that in chapter 4 it's not that the gospel it is new but it's also not new in the sense that it's always been the case that every, everybody needs the righteousness apart from the law that Paul is talking about here, even Abraham. So that brings us kind of up to the start of chapter 5. and the first half of chapter 5, you'll remember, um, we looked at the, um, why it's a good thing that the righteousness that comes through faith in what Jesus has done is something that comes by faith and not by our own efforts. And we looked at some of the benefits of that at that first half of chapter 5, remembering that if it was up to us, if it was dependent on how good we were or how well we measured up to God's um, minimum standard or maximum standard, whatever you would want to say, we would have no peace we'd have no security. But we have the, the peace and joy of knowing that it's been done for us. So we can, we can be absolutely confident in what Jesus has done. And in the second half of chapter five, which is where we've been crawling a little bit in the last uh, last few weeks, we've been we're going through some of the, this, explana- a little bit more of an explanation really of how, how this works and uh, you'll remember Ivor used the word federal heads we've got Adam and Christ described as our, our representatives and uh, in this second half of chapter 5 there's this contrast all the way through there's Adam and there's Christ and there's the reign of sin and death and there's the reign of grace and uh, two weeks ago in the evening Ivor was explaining that in a bit more detail for us what the, how that works and what the, what the impact of that is in, the, in it being a, a parallel but also a contrast with the reign of grace and what Jesus has achieved for us being so much better uh, than, uh, and, and so um, better just in, in every way than anything that we could ever have tried to achieve under the law so these last two verses take us to the end of chapter 5 and they introduce something that's going to be covered in the next two chapters in a wee bit more detail and it's it's as if Paul I would say is he's introducing us to the truth he's explained that we don't earn our salvation that it comes by faith but it's a, it's a natural objection that comes into most people's minds if you've been following the, the thread of the argument. I've certainly had this when I've been trying to talk to, to uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. They say, That's, that doesn't make any sense. Well, what's the point in living? If it doesn't matter how, how you live your life, it doesn't make any sense. And they, and they hate it. And Paul in these last two verses is really just beginning to open it up, but chapter 6 and 7, explain it in a bit more detail. What's the point of the law then? If you're saved by faith in Jesus, why even bother trying to obey the commandments? In fact, if you can't, if you you know for a fact you can't keep them, why why bother? So it's my prayer tonight that as we look at this in a a little bit more detail, that um, hopefully the extent to which we're clearer about how the law fits in to the big picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace eh, that is described here, this reign of grace. So I've really got eh, just eh, two things to, to look at tonight and as they're just set out here in this verse it's, the, it's this reign of sin and death and the reign of of grace. So, firstly, um, and the slightly longer of the, of the two, um, looking at the sin, the, the reign of sin and death. Um, looking at verse 20 here, I want you just to cover it there with your hand for a minute and imagine I've asked you the question what is the point of the law? in the Bible or uh, why do we have the Ten Commandments I would imagine myself included that if somebody at random asked me that question what's the point of the Ten Commandments almost all of us we are all going to say oh well it shows us how, how to live good lives but when you look at the reason that the law was given that Paul gives us here in verse 20 is a very different reason. he says the law was added so that the trespass might increase. well it sounds a bit weird doesn't it if you're following if you've been following the line of the argument you're thinking, right, so we're saved by what Jesus has done and then he says the law was added that the trespass might increase in other words. God's given us the law, and the effect of that is just to make our sin even worse than it was before. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And I think I would argue that this first half of verse 20 is really given as a bit of a shock. It's supposed to make us think, how's that? What that doesn't that doesn't make any sense, really. And I think what he's trying to to do is really to shake us out of this mentality that we're all so prone to which is thinking that we're good when we think if we think that the main reason the law is given is to show us how to live good lives which is quite a natural thing to think the temptation is always going to be at the back of our minds to think that we are going to be okay if we can just do our best and uh, if we think that we're just Keep the law and we earn brownie points, as it were, from God. It's a very dangerous line of, of, of thinking. And that's, I believe, these chapters in Romans that we've been reading are really a shot across the bows of that kind of thinking to say, you know, just to make it absolutely clear, you know, if you think you're going to get somewhere just by um, obeying the law. And somehow earn some favor from God, eh, think again, really. Um, I had a conversation with a guy on Monday who basically said to me, as many, many people will. He said, Well, I'm quite a good guy, I help people. And it was in the context of of salvation, and he really what he was saying was something that loads of people say. And probably I said myself before I was converted, I'm quite good. I think I'm probably good enough. I'll probably get to heaven. It's that kind of thinking. And uh, I've seen this, um, although I'm quite young, uh, even in the experience that I have had as an elder, it's it's been one of the more distressing things to discover that some people sit week in, week out, and people are up there preaching and saying, It's all of grace. You can't earn your way to heaven. And the gospel is preached pretty clearly, in my opinion. But when you get to speak to somebody, their plan at the end of the day is to go to God and say, I did my best. What more could you possibly ask from me? And it's very sobering because really our best, Paul says, is worse than useless. It is absolutely not good enough. And it's very serious. Um, I can't really put it into words how bad it, you know, there's, there's no if we go offering our best to God at the end of the day and expect that he's going to reward us it's, it's, it's much worse than useless it's, it's really I would say it's like holding a piece of paper up in front of an atomic bomb going off and saying here's my best it's, it's not going to work at all So, with that in mind, and before we we kind of move on a little bit, just to think well how how is it that the law makes our sin increase? how does the the adding of the law make the trespass increase what what how does that really work in practice? Well, I had to think about that, and just to offer you two just two examples of, of ways in which I think that happens um, The most obvious one is by giving a law, you bri- there's a specific command that we've broken. So if, if I have a general duty in my house not to be greedy, to be considerate of others, to, um, to be moderate in my appetites, that sounds all very well. But if Morag says to me, I bake this cake for the coffee club tomorrow, do not eat it if I just eat the whole thing I've broken a specific command can you see how I, that's, made, that's made it much worse. It's much worse isn't it than just just well I probably always knew I shouldn't have eaten it but if someone says this is for something special and I just eat it it calls into question it's, it's outright defiance isn't it rather than just a, a, a failure to live up to the expectation that, uh, that might have been there George has a picture, hopefully. No. (laughs) We don't have a picture. Never mind. Well, I was going to say, the second way in which the adding of the law makes things worse is summed up in a picture which I'd taken. And to explain what it was, there's an office that I do some work for sometimes. And in the gents' toilets in this office... Down in the corner of one of the cabinets, there's a, a little switch and a tiny little red light. And there's a sticker on it, quite big, block capitals. And it says, do not switch on. Very clear instruction. Now, I can honestly say it never occurred to me to interfere with that switch in the gents' toilets in this office never ever occurred to me before but when I saw this notice on it saying do not switch on immediately you think why is that? I wonder what happens if you switch that on then it does the giving of a law gives you something new it gives a new opportunity for disobedience now interestingly although I was tempted when I saw this switch I did not switch it on. I want you to imagine for a minute, if I distrusted this company that I was using their toilets, if I thought, this company's always trying to stop me, stop something fun happening, I might have been more inclined just to throw the switch and see what's happened. Or if I hated them, if I said, I actually quite like the company, this this company's actually a really good company for me. They give me a lot of work and the people are lovely to work for. But if I hated them, if I thought these people are just out to get me, they they don't pay me on time, if I saw a switch like that, I might be much more likely, mightn't I, just to, to switch that. And so I think what we see in the law is we get new opportunities for disobedience but we also get new opportunities for disobedience We show up our real, really what our hearts are like do, what's our relationship with God like, are we anxious to do what he tells us or are we do we think he's trying to spoil our fun or do we think um, that actually it's, it's outright defiance we're, we're, we're out to, to, uh, to disobey God because uh, we don't want to please him well, in these ways, I believe, and probably others as well, the giving of the law makes our situation worse. It shows up our true, the true nature of our hearts and it, it gives us these new opportunities just to pile up our sin. When I was discussing, uh, a couple of weeks back, we met uh, with, with Ivor, some of the guys that have taken on some of the preaching for, for holiday cover. Uh, and when I, I explained that I was going to show this picture and uh, uh, Ivor told me that one of the old theologians has this great quote apparently the law is our schoolmaster to drive us to Christ now some here might know who that's from, I'm afraid I I didn't pay enough attention to Ivor to know exactly who it was that said that but it's a a good quote I think and I'll maybe try and find out who it was that said it, the law is our schoolmaster to drive us to Christ when we realise our true nature it's an important stage for us in the process of becoming Christians. Those of us who were out at Cumbernauld last week have heard uh, Robin's sermon about the Holy Spirit convicting those early uh, uh, hearers of, of the, the preaching, and it describes them as being cut to the heart. When you realise the true nature of your sin, uh, it's a, it really it takes away any any. Any suggestion of trying to be good enough, or trying to present your best to God and hope that it's it, it's it's going to do the job, uh, and and so, although the law makes our trespass increase, this is something of what we'll go on to look at um, in the reign of grace. Because when we truly understand how bad things are, and the more we look at the law, the more we realise how much trouble we're in. The reign of grace is something that's so much, so much better. As Ivor was saying previously, it, it floods out uh, our our own sin and our and the the our own. Uh, it, it's it's it completely overwhelms uh, the reign of sin and death. Um, but as I was saying, there's this natural question that comes up, and I, I think it. The way Romans is written out, it's obvious that Paul's expecting this question, and the, the question is: Well, what what is the point anyway? If you can't keep the law, um, then why bother trying? In effect, so um, the good news is that we've got two whole chapters to come to try and address that question. But it is something that, as Christians, we constantly seem to to get it wrong. We can, we're either um, we become, we fall into the error of legalism thinking that we, we, uh, we can earn brownie points if, if you like with, with God by, by keeping his law in that way or we fall into the other error of thinking well there's no point in even trying um, God's grace has done it all so it doesn't actually matter how I live and although our, our verses tonight don't really uh, address this in detail, just trust me for the time being That the question, does the law still have any relevance for us as Christians today, the, the answer is absolutely yes it does, uh, but we just have to be careful, if we are redeemed, forgiven sinners we're going to be extra careful to keep God's law not, not because it's a binding contract on us anymore but out of love So I was trying to think of some ways of of trying to explain how how that works. Well imagine you have a friend who says I have a a really bad allergy to peanuts. And I'm making a law. There'll be no peanuts in the food that you make for me. Well you, you might just try and keep that. And it's, it's possible you might be a bit grudging and say, oh, you know, I love peanut butter and now this guy's, you know, whatever. I have to... can't have peanut butter in the house anymore or whatever. But if you really love that person, it's not going to be a burden to you to not be putting peanuts in, in the, the food that you're, you're eating. Um, you're going you're gonna to want to avoid peanuts to make sure, be extra careful that there's no peanuts at all in the house. If you really love them. And it's a bit, it should be a bit like that with, with God's law when we become, uh, we become Christians. Um, another example would just be, if you have a friend and they tell you explicitly, I only ever listen to classical music and I love classical music. And you have an opportunity to buy them some concert tickets as a present, you're not going to buy them Justin Bieber concert tickets. You're going to choose a classical concert that they like. And it's a bit like that. If you buy your friend who's told you, I only listen to classical music, if you buy them Justin Bieber tickets, they're going to wonder, Are you even listening to me? And it's a bit like that in our, our relationship with the law. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a different one. We're not under the law. But we are um, we're under grace, and it's 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 so much better. So God hasn't said, I will never listen to classical music or, or I have a peanut allergy, but He has given us a starter for ten for how we can love Him, quite literally a starter for ten. So it's a practical thing tonight. Thinking when we're thinking about the law anyway, what I was going to suggest is. Can you remember the Ten Commandments? Maybe just, if you're taking notes, maybe just jot them down. Or maybe after the service, turn to the person next to you and say five each. And maybe if there's one that slips your mind or you're slow to remember, maybe take a moment to pray and meditate on on that commandment. And... uh, Ask God for some practical opportunities to make changes in your life as a result of a a grace-based commitment to to the law rather than a a law, a legalistic approach. So that's, that's, that's the reign of sin and death. Is, is really the law making things worse for us. But we come now to look at the reign of grace. And in some ways we've already, we've already covered that, uh, and also our time has gone slightly. But um, Ivor described it as a parallel and a contrast. The reign of, in the reign of, of sin and death, we have our, Adam's sin is imputed to us. It makes us guilty, but it's also a controlling influence on our natures. And uh, as we've seen, the law just makes that all the more obvious. But there's also a parallel, because in the reign of grace, it also has a controlling influence on our natures. But it's also a contrast. Um, because where it says sin reigns in death, it says grace reigns through righteousness. And uh, if you remember what I said earlier, righteousness is the theme of the book of Romans and in Romans really when it talks about the righteousness of God which is a phrase that keeps cropping up it's like a shorthand for everything God's achieved in sending his son dying on the cross rising again and ascending back to heaven and so because because of that it's a contrast, the reign of grace is better in every way it's better in the, in the power that it brings, in the freedom that it gives us, in its extent, and most importantly, in its outcome. The outcome is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's something that we can't really put into words. Um, the best we can do, really, is, uh, is to look, look around And uh, perhaps 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, describes it. It says, No eye has seen no ear is heard no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him so we've had these two reigns compared and contrasted and tonight it's my duty to ask you really under whose reign are you living are you living tonight under the reign of sin and death maybe you're hoping at the end to say well I've done my best but if you're doing that You're facing certain condemnation under the law. Your only hope is to turn to Jesus Christ in faith. Give up on trying to save yourself and turn instead to Jesus and to be covered by the righteousness that comes from faith, the righteousness of Christ. And then come and know the security and the freedom and the the peace of not trying to save yourself but rather you know, coming into and under this reign of grace. And if you're already trusting in Christ, lastly, I would just ask ourselves, I think we should all be examining ourselves and say, how, how obvious is the reign of grace in our lives? Is it, does it have that controlling influence on, on what we say and what we do and even on what we think? Or are we still behaving like those who are under the law with a slavish, grudging compliance at times uh, viewing God's commands as restrictive or do you long for the love that we were singing about earlier the full reign of grace in our hearts giving us that freedom to love God in a complete and wholehearted way it's my prayer that that would be uh, what happens uh, for us tonight.